let's take our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 this evening. Exodus chapter 20 as we consider the 8th commandment from Exodus 20 verse 15. And I especially am glad to be past the 7th commandment. I don't think I've ever sweat while preaching on a verse more in my entire life. So it's good to be on the 8th commandment. So let's pray before we get into it. Lord, we thank you for our time that we have to gather around your word this evening. Pray that you'd help us. Pray that you'd feed us tonight. Uh, Lord, help us to grow and be more like Christ because of, the, because of our time around your word this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The verse simply says in Exodus 20, verse 15, Thou shalt not steal. And uh, these commandments, especially beginning with the sixth commandment down here to the eighth or ninth commandment, are, are, are remarkable for their simplicity. Uh, it's almost a bit reductive to simply say, Don't steal. It's almost too reductive. But can you imagine a society where there was no stealing? No need for locks, no need for keys, no need for safes. Just a society. Can you imagine how peaceful society would be? And how peaceful it is when we obey the Word of God. When we simply do what He tells us to do. We mentioned last week that trust is a key cornerstone of society. And we see that again with the Eighth Commandment tonight. When you steal from someone else, you are breaking down that fundamental element of trust. And thus we find, as the law continues in the book of Exodus, that the punishment for stealing is in some cases quite punitive. Uh, if a man stole an ox or a sheep, he was required to give back five oxen for one ox and four sheep for one sheep. If a man let his, boot, his uh, beast loose and that beast went into another man's field and began to eat of that other man's crops and harvest, then the original owner of that beast was required to restore that man of the harvest of his, of his own crop, of the very best of his own crop. If a man borrowed anything and what he borrowed was impaired, was, uh, was lost, destroyed, or died, then the, the borrower was required to to fully uh, restore the original bar, uh, what, what he originally borrowed from the original owner. Uh, and these are just a sample of some of the punitive ways that stealing was, uh, was, was punished in the law. And some of these laws are given as a, as, uh, are meant, uh, meant to be a massive deterrent, a major deterrent on stealing. Because if thievery was ever accepted, or God forbid even institutionalized in societal trust, would be in complete disarray, would completely evaporate. As we consider the Eighth Commandment tonight, I want to give you three thoughts, three primary thoughts as we consider this commandment. First of all, the universal reality of theft. Martin Luther said this of mankind, If we look at mankind in all of its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide, stable, full of great thieves. Boy, how true that is. Theft is a universal reality. In fact, the first sin in human history is technically stealing. Adam and Eve took fruit from a tree that did not belong to them and ate of it. And ever since that day, humanity has been inventing new ways to steal things from other people. We have burglary, which is breaking into a building to steal. We have robbery, which is using violence or intimidation to take directly someone else's belongings. We have larceny, taking something with the intent of not returning it. We have hijacking, which is using violence or threat of violence to take possession of goods in transit. We have shoplifting, which is taking items from a store without paying for them. 
We have pickpocketing, which is snatching the possession off of, off of a person. We have fraud, deceiving another in order to take their possessions. Embezzlement, stealing goods that were entrusted to your care. Extortion, stealing by threats or misuse of authority. Racketeering, obtaining money, money illegally. Usury, charging exorbitant lending rates. We have insurance fraud, we have securities fraud, we have intellectual property theft, we have violation of copyrights, we have identity theft, and we have plagiarism. Stealing is universal. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you look. It's so widespread that we, we use a, a, a vast array of vocabulary words, almost as wide as the sea, to describe the variety of forms of stealing that are in our world. Is it any surprise, then, that the security industry is so big? Every precious thing that we own has a way of being secured. We lock our cars, even though we are not going to be away from our cars for, for more than five minutes. We lock our houses, even though we're just going to the store and back. In our houses, we have safes with locks and combinations, uh, secret combinations to those locks. We can no longer use simple passwords like password to secure our digital, to dig, our digital identity, but we have to use password managers to secure the variety of passwords that we must have. Theft is a universal reality in our world. It is something that the rich do. It is something that the poor do. The rich steal in more sophisticated and usually in much or sometimes in much bigger ways than the poor do. Uh, think Bernie, Bernie Madoff. But the poor steal just as well. Governments steal from their citizens just as well as citizens steal from governments. In fact, really the, the, the largest forms of heist in human history are perpetrated by governments upon their citizens. And think of the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire was first established, they used a, uh, a coin as their primary me medium of exchange called the denarius. The denarius at the formation of the Roman Empire was valuable because it was primarily silver, almost pure silver in its formation, about 90% silver. And of course, uh, over time, as the Roman Empire needed to fund their wars and uh, war expeditions, the government would continue to make more coins, but the problem was that they didn't have quite enough silver to continue to make as many coins as they needed to. So what they did to solve this major problem they, that they had was to dilute the portion of the coin that was made up of silver. And about 200 years after the Roman Empire was formed, the denarius went from being about 90% silver to about 5% silver which is about a 95% devaluation. And of course, we would never do something as silly as that, would we? Today, we, of course, are far more sophisticated than to back our dollar by gold or silver. I mean, who would do something silly like that? Why do you need to do that when you have the full faith and credit of the United States? <laughs> I'm speaking sarcastically, if you can't tell. But that has made debasement in our world far easier to do. It is only in the modern world where banks can lend money that they do not have. Fractional reserve banking has allowed us to create money that, that does just create money right out of thin, thin air. Never mind the fact that the government operates on a deficit that it has no intents, uh, intents to close and a debt that we have no intent to repay. The government has borrowed from us, from our children, from our children's children, from our children's children's children, and they have no intention of paying it back. 
And that is blatant theft. It is blatant violation of the Eighth Commandment, no matter how sophisticated, no matter how complicated it may seem. But it is not just governments that steal from their citizens. It is citizens that steal from their governments as well. Sometime before tax day in 1987, the IRS added a new rule that required parents to uh, no longer simply add the child's name as a dependent that they were claiming for a dependent, but now the requirement, or then the requirement was to also add the social security number of that child. And on April 15, 1987, seven million children somehow mysteriously disappeared those that were being claimed as dependents that did not even exist. That is blatant theft, stealing from the government. Stealing is just what humanity does. It is universal. It is everywhere. And even as Christians, we need to recognize that stealing is it's in our nature. It's, it's in our blood. It's who we are. But just because stealing is normal doesn't mean that it should be acceptable, especially to us as Christians. We as Christians, just like the nation of Israel, are called to reflect the holy character of God. We should not cheat our employers out of a full day's worth of work. That is stealing. We should not cheat on our taxes. That is stealing. We should not borrow something and forget to return it. That is stealing. And these issues are very serious to our Christian integrity because if we are to be a good Christian witness to our neighbors, then we must not steal. If you want to witness to your employer, your boss, you better not also steal from him because your witness is going to fall on deaf ears. If you borrow something from your neighbor and never return it to him, believe me, he won't listen to your gospel witness to him. So our Christian integrity relies upon our faithfulness, uh, our, our commitment to not being thieves. So we see the reality of theft, but I want you to consider, secondly, the dignity of personal property, the dignity of personal property. The fact that we are commanded not to steal in this eighth commandment implies the ownership, implies that the ownership of possessions is something that God Himself recognizes in Scripture. God was not attempting to establish a socialistic community where possessions are collectively owned and distributed, but rather the right to private property and private enterprise was a foundational part of Israel's establishment as a society. God wanted Israel to work and acquire. Work and acquire. That was the honorable way of acquiring property. And in fact, God established this cycle of working and acquiring, not just in the law, not just with the nation of Israel, but all the way back in original creation. Man was placed in the garden with the task of dressing and keeping the garden to cultivate it, to plant it. And, 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 and the result of that work was the product of his work. The, the, the earth would produce a yield that man was able to enjoy, uh, was, was able to enjoy and derive pleasure from. Before the, wall, before the fall, work was not hard. And it's only after the, the fall that work became hard. The earth after the fall did not as easily or as willingly yield the fruit of man's labor. And now, after the fall, now that work is hard, <clears throat> man tried to circumvent the need to work in order to acquire goods. It's much easier to simply take what someone else has worked for rather than working for what you would like for yourself. Now, you can imagine in the early days of human history, someone 
going into the garden plot of a neighbor late at night and plucking up the corn and the green beans from their garden plot to eat for themselves. Uh, that, that, of course, is the, 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 the fundamental idea of, of stealing. And of course, in modern times, we don't, we don't really do that necessarily, at least I hope not. Uh, we, we steal money or maybe something more complicated, uh, something that requires more complicated work. But, but the base instinct is the same. It is to circumvent the curse. It is to get, it is to acquire a good or a possession without putting in the work that is required to acquire, or required to acquire that, that good. But what I want to focus on in this point is, is just a little bit different than that. If God recognized private property rights, then it follows that possessions are not in and of themselves immoral. They're not immoral. In other words, it's not wrong to have stuff in and of itself. It's not wrong to just have stuff. And one of the dangers that we have to be aware of in the church today is the false idea that the physical world does not matter. This type of thinking uh, infiltrated the church in the first century through uh, what is known as Gnosticism. One of the core tenets of Gnosticism was that all physical matter was evil. In fact, salvation in their minds was was deliverance from the material world into the spiritual world. And there are some even today uh, that would have you believe that in order to be spiritual, you must neglect the physical as much as possible. You must have as little, as, as little stuff as possible. There are extreme views of, of this type of thinking in our world today, such as those that go live in a monastery or those that make a uh, vow of poverty. Uh, but there are also less extreme ways uh, 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 that this might influence us. There are some well-meaning people that think that if you have a jet ski, that you are ungodly. Or if you live in a big house, you are ungodly, simply because you live in a big house. And that's not true. That is not true. Now, the other side of that is also not true. Just because you have a big house does not mean that you're godly, as some of the false uh, the false prosperity gospel preachers would have us to believe. But just because you have stuff, whether you have stuff or whether you don't have stuff, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you are godly or ungodly. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Our relationship to stuff has great spiritual significance. It is a, it is a very sp spiritually significant detail how we treat our stuff. Our treasures are to be in heaven. The scriptures clearly and plainly say to us. But that doesn't mean that the more that you own in this earth, the less treasures that you have in heaven. And it doesn't mean that owning things is inherently bad. If the Eighth Commandment teaches us anything, it is that God dignifies personal property provided that it is gotten through a moral means, provided it is gotten through hard work. This is honorable and should be the pursuit of every person. And what we find in Scripture is that our stuff is tied to our identity. In Exodus chapter 23, we're just a few pages away, so turn there with me. In Exodus 23, verse 4, this, uh, this law is given to us. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his, or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back, again, uh, back to him again. Notice, if thou meet thine enemy's ox. We're not talking about a neighbor, we're talking about an enemy. And the commandment is that if you find or if you see your enemy's ox 
or ass donkey uh, wandering around, you are obligated to return that animal to its rightful owner. And just as you would not kill your enemy, even if you were given the opportunity to do so, you are also to treat his, pos his possessions as if they are an extension of his person. The idea of the Eighth Commandment is rooted not in the dignity of stuff, but in the dignity of the person who owns the stuff. And what a person has is directly tied to who they are. And boy, that's really true. What we are includes what we have. My stuff is not just stuff. It is my stuff. Your stuff is not just stuff. It is your stuff. So when you borrow one of my books, you intend to return it to me, not to, not to my brother, but to me. And when I borrow something from you, I'm not going to return it to your neighbor. I'm going to return it to you. It is your stuff. And when you steal my stuff, regardless of how insignificant the stuff that you steal is from me, it is not the stuff that you have violated, but it is me in some way that you have violated. The crime of stealing is not a crime against stuff. It is a crime against the person who owns the stuff. In addition to this, our stuff tells a story about who we are. If you go into my office right now, you'll see a stack of four or five books on the subject of systematic theology. That tells you a little bit, some, a little bit something about what I'm working on right now. If we were to go look at the car that you drive or the house that you live in or the clothes that you wear or the things that you like, these things tell a story about who you, who, who you are. And for some of you, if we were to take a detailed analysis of, uh, or detailed inventory of the stuff that you own, we could stop and tell stories about a lot of stuff that you own. We could stop and talk about how you got a great deal on that car that you own, or how that book was passed down from your great-grandfather to your grandfather to your, to your father to, to you. Your stuff tells a story about, about you. And regardless of whether you are a sentimental person or not, your possessions are tied to who you are. They're tied to your person. And it's, it's not bad that your stuff is tied to who you are. It is simply true that it is tied to who you are. So the commandment here is not just about stuff, but in essence it is about your attitude towards other people. You shouldn't steal because you should love your neighbor. And just like you would never hurt your neighbor with violence, so you shouldn't steal from them and hurt them in that way. And not only, there's a positive side to this as well, not only should you not steal from them, but you should also look out for their possessions as well. If you see someone uh, wandering around your neighbor's house tonight wearing a mask while they are away, as a good neighbor, you're going to do something. Some of us are going to pull out a gun and go confront them. Some of us, some of us are going to go call the cops. Some of us are going to call the neighbor. But, but as a good neighbor, you're going to do something. Similarly, if you leave here tonight, or if you go to leave here tonight, and out in the parking lot you find a wad of $100 bills, well, you know that that wad of $100 bills did not magically appear, no matter how much you try to convince yourself of that. <laughs> Those $100 bills belong to somebody. And the question is, what would you do in that scenario? Would you take that wad of $100 bills and never say a word about it? Is it finders, keepers, losers, weepers? Or would you diligently 
diligently try to find the owner of that wad of $100 bills. And I know it's a wild hypothetical, one that some of you wish to find yourself in. <laughs> but it shows us, it reveals really the attitude of our hearts towards our neighbor. When you steal from your neighbor, you are not just taking their stuff, but you are violating your neighbor. You are violating the, the person. So we've considered the reality of theft, the universal reality of theft in our world. We've considered the dignity of personal property, but consider finally the responsibility of personal property. The responsibility of personal property. We have to be careful when we affirm the dignity of personal property because the ditch on the other side is that we go to serve mammon. And while our possessions are a big part of our life, our our lives should not be summed up as the pursuit of more and more stuff. Right. Stuff in and of itself is not bad, but when we live our lives for the next toy or the next trinket right. or to upgrade our house or to buy the next car or to upgrade the phone or to upgrade the wardrobe and on and on uh, the, the cycle goes, we are slaves or servants of mammon. And really this culture, this world would have us do nothing less than just that, to serve mammon, to get so distracted by the pursuit of more stuff that we forget to serve God. And when you serve mammon, anything is, accept anything is an acceptable means to accumulate more stuff, including stealing, including thievery. When you serve mammon, you have no regard for how you got the stuff, just that you got the stuff. But how do we break away from the service of mammon? The solution is to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, the Eighth Commandment calls us to consider the lordship of God over our own possessions. The point is that what we own, we do not actually own. It is, it is God who owns our stuff, and we are merely stewards of that. And I would simply say this tonight, if Christ is not Lord of your money and your possessions, then He is not your Lord at all. The weight of this commandment is placed upon us when we realize that what we regard as our own is not our own at all. Everything we own is given to us as a gift by God, not to consume for our own pleasure, but to use for His glory. And in light of this commandment, we need to be careful in how we manage the possessions that God has given to our stewardship. Because if we, if we manage these resources unwisely, we're not only guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment, but we are guilty from stealing from God Himself. And Jerry Bridges helpfully explains that there are really only three attitudes towards stuff. The first attitude is that what is yours is mine. I'll take it. That's the blatant attitude of a thief. The second attitude is, is what, what's mine is mine. I'll keep it. And the third attitude is that what's, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. But what we need to recognize tonight is that the second attitude, that what's mine is mine, I'll keep it, is just as much stealing as the first attitude. Because what's mine is not mine, it's God's. God has graciously given to me in order to share with others. This selfish attitude refuses to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our possessions. And I promise that I did not plan for this message to be a week before missions conference, but I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence either as we begin to think about uh, our money and giving to missions. Uh, it, not, only, not only do we need to think about the need, 
the great need to get the gospel to the world, but we also need to think about a biblical theology of possessions. What can I do? What am I expected to do with what God has given to me? And Randy Alcorn said this, I think it's a wonderful quote, God is not glorified when we keep for ourselves, no matter how thankfully, what we ought to be using to alleviate the misery of, of unevangelized, uneducated, unmedicated, and unfed millions. And the question tonight is that are we good stewards of the wealth that God has given us? Or have we stolen from Him what He wanted, to us, wanted us to give to His work? The amazing thing is that God incentivizes us to give to His work. I mean, you think about it. Every physical possession that you own today will, in 100 years, 50 years, 20 years for some of us, will belong to someone else or be in the trash. You, you, won't, be, you won't be here to own it. Every single thing that you own. You cannot take it with you. In fact, in, uh, when, Ron, or when John Rockefeller died, they, they asked his accountant how much money he left, and the accountant responded, he left it all. He left all of it. And boy, how true that is. When we die, we leave everything. Every physical possession that we have, we leave it here. Yet, what we transfer to Christ's lordship, we don't lose it all. We don't lose one penny of it. What we give to the work of Jesus Christ will be transformed into an, an eternal reward that cannot be lost. And the remarkable thing about this is, is that what we pursue on earth, pleasure, power, possessions, these are precisely the thing that God promises to us in eternity if we simply sacrifice here on this earth. And we simply have to remember that we are not at home in this world. And that is, I believe, that is our greatest deterrent to a proper use of the resources that God has given us. We think that we are at home in this world. We are clinging to what we own or what we think that we own in this world. And our use of money, our use of possessions largely affirms which kingdom we think we belong to. C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And how many Christians are living for what's here on earth with no eternal perspective in view? And just so that I'm clear here, I'm not suggesting that we steal from God when we withhold the tithe from Him. Certainly, I think that's one form of, from, uh, one form of thievery. But I don't think that, 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 that is not how I'm trying to apply this tonight. I am trying to apply this to everything that we own. It is the stewardship that, 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 God has, that God has given to us is, is over our person. It is over every possession. God does not simply claim 10% of our income. He claims everything. We steward everything for His glory. And the responsibility of God's gift uh, is that we will answer to Him for how we have handled those gifts. From a practical standpoint, John Wesley provided four questions that I think are helpful in analyzing every transaction, in analyzing every way that we spend our money. Let me give you these four questions. One, in spending this money, am I acting like I own it or am I acting as God's trustee? Number two, what scripture requires me to spend money this way? Number three, can I offer this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? 
Number four, will God reward me for this expense at the judgment? That's a radical set of questions to ask. But boy, how much trouble would we avoid if we asked ourselves those questions before every time we spent money? We are stewards of what God has given us. And the, the Eighth Commandment calls us to ask ourselves whether or not we have stolen from God what we think that we own for ourselves. And let me close by simply suggesting that we are all thieves. Every single person here is a thief. In some way, from both God and man, we are thieves, whether big or small. And the question is not whether or not you're a thief, but whether or what kind of thief you are. There's the thief that looked over at Jesus on the cross and joined the mocking of the crowd, suggesting that Jesus should come down from the cross and save him and, in, and himself. And then there's the thief that turned to Jesus and uh, or turned to the other, other thief and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And to this thief the Lord said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There are only two types of thieves in this world, and they're represented by these thieves that were, that were hanging on the cross uh, uh, next to Jesus. There is the thief that rejects the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and there is the thief that places his trust in Jesus Christ. We're all thieves, but there's one man who died for thieves, who died as a thief for us as thieves. And there's great comfort in knowing that the gospel is for thieves like you and me. And because we have a great Savior who has died to pay the penalty for our sins and given us a great responsibility of possessions and money, we ought to be ultra committed to the cause of stewarding His resources for His glory. Amen.